boys and ghouls welcome to a very special episode of dads from the crypts today we are continuing our state of the crypt series and we'll be talking to david and tim who are copyright lawyers and they'll be discussing the latest changes to the tales of the crypt copyrights uh what they mean and um what it means for the future of tales of the crypt and hopefully i can keep up up with them uh, we have a few firsts today this is the earliest we've ever recorded an episode it's 9 a.m and it's the first time we've ever had a guest wearing a tie. Um, gotta love our lawyers. And um, with that said, welcome to the crypt, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's great being here. Okay, Tim, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Good morning. Thank you for having me again. I'm Timothy Wiseman. I am a partner with Morris Law Center out of Las Vegas. I specialize in... Uh, I shouldn't technically say specialized. I concentrate my practice on appellate work, though I do a fair bit of intellectual property, including licensing and litigation. Excellent. And then David? Good morning. Thank you for having me. My name is David Snyder. I am a partner at Nolan Hyman. We're a IP boutique firm located in LA. I personally have been practicing law for a little over 20 years. My practice focuses on trademarks. So I do a lot of prosecution and transactional work. Uh, I also work with a lot of collectible companies and entertainment companies, uh, particularly on the licensing side, helping them build out their brands and develop products based on pop culture properties. Excellent. And um, before we get into the really technical stuff, what's your guys' uh, experience with the Tales of the Crypt show or comics? I was a big fan as a teenager. Um, Obviously, there were no streaming services. There wasn't even a DVR at the time, or at least my family didn't have one. So I only, could only catch it when I caught it, mostly when my parents didn't know I was watching it. But I was a, I very much enjoyed the TV series on HBO as a teenager. I've had the opportunity to read a few of the comics, but I'm way behind on those. Cool. And David? So in my case, full disclosure, I'm not a big fan because I'm not a big fan of horror in general. However... Um, when I was a teenager, we had HBO and my cousins, we would go sleep over at their house and they would force me to watch Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> and to this day, I can hear the Crypt Keeper's voice in my head. Uh, and I have to admit, the, the episodes were very good. It was just uh, uh, a little scary for me, but right. good stuff. Right. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but I think on, on some level, at least some, some certain stories, I think can be universally appreciated. Absolutely. Okay, so this is the part where I don't really, I'm going to let you guys really kind of dive into this because I, I sent you guys a copy of uh, the documents, the petitions, and I looked through it and I don't quite understand it. So I'm going to hand it over to you guys to try to uh, explain to me and to the audience what this actually means. Uh, do you mind if I jump in? By all means, please. Okay, so the documents you sent us uh, we're basically for a trademark dispute that's been running for a number of years over the trademark, the Crypt Keeper. Um, and it's a little convoluted figuring out what it all means. 
um, because it looks like, so obviously this property started with the estate um, with the comic books. So, so this was before there was ever a TV show, there was a comic book property, there were books, there, there was uh, some content there, the name, the Crypt Keeper there. Um, it's sometime in the eighties, the estate licensed that out uh, to a group of guys who formed a company called uh, Tales from the Crypt Holdings, and they made uh, the TV shows. And we have no idea what their contract said. We have no idea really what the agreement was between them, but that was ages ago. Um, the TV show ran and has since sort of fallen by the wayside, it hasn't been redone, uh, but the trademarks remain out there. Um, and they had been exploited to some extent, although it's hard to tell how much. Um, there were some registrations. So an important thing to understand with trademarks, two, two really important concepts. The first is rights arise from use, not registration. So it doesn't matter who has the registration so much as who used it in commerce, which means who sold books, who put on TV shows, things like that. Can you define the difference between those two, rights and registration? Yeah. So, so rights arise from use. If I put out a book, um, not so much with a title, but if I do a series of books under the, the name Tales from the Crypt, um, just by publishing those books and using that brand consistently across them, I own trademark rights, so long as no one else has been using it for the same thing. Registration is a formal process where you submit to the trademark office and they grant you a certificate, and that does give you additional rights. So um, if you don't have a registration, your rights are what we call common law rights. That's that little TM symbol you see next to things. And that means you have rights in the places where you've used it. So if I have only sold books in California and Nevada, I really only have rights there from use. Registration makes those nationwide. It makes it more formal and it gives you a greater ability to enforce. So it's a really important tool, but it doesn't decide who owns it. Um, the other really important concept to understand is that trademark rights are by category. So just because you have a registration for one thing doesn't mean you own that thing for everything. Um, and the example I usually use of this because there was fantastic litigation is Lexus, the car company and Lexus, the database company. Mm. Um, so the database company came first, they had a registration. And when Lexus, the car company came out, the database company sued them for infringement. Um, and it was a bit of a bizarre theory, but the idea was high-end professionals use both. Um, and so they're going to be confused thinking that there's some affiliation between them. And what the court decided was, no, databases and cars are not similar. Nobody is going to confuse them. Yes, the marks are almost the same, but they're for very different things. That's interesting because uh, in my professional life, I work with a software called Epic, um, that, which is a medical record uh, company. But obviously, there's many other things of the words Epic in it. There's even a, a, soft, a gaming software distributor mm. called Epic. So I've always wondered how that would uh, how that separates. And I guess it's enough of a difference for them to be able to use it both. Right. Well, that's that's why Epic Games is not coming after your employer because it's a different use, and nobody is. You think about consumers interacting with the products. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to cons confuse your company's product with the game company's product. So therefore, no infringement. So in, in this case, um, the Crypt Keeper is a brand that is used for um, a couple of different purposes. One is obviously within the show. The other at issue here is within the comic books. 
So what happened was the estate applied to register the mark, the crypt keeper for books and comics. They were denied by the trademark office because there was an existing registration for entertainment and the um, examiner, <clears throat> whoever the trademark examiner was, and they are not always consistent. In fact, they're remarkably inconsistent. Um, <laughs> I can see Tim nodding, shared experience. Uh, the, uh, the examiner denied it, saying that it was confusingly similar to the existing registration for entertainment, because oftentimes books are translated into TV. And so the estate tried to get, well, brought a case to cancel the existing registration um, held by the holding company, the entertainment company, for the word mark, the crypt keeper for filmed entertainment. Um, and that, it looks like that battle went on for almost a decade, which is crazy. They don't usually go that long. Um, and ultimately what happened was the holding company, the entertainment company abandoned rights. Now that seems really momentous, right? Like they gave up, they're out. Uh, but it may not be quite as momentous as it seems because all that means is they're no longer using it in commerce for filmed entertainment and they are giving up rights to that and the estate can proceed with their registration for books and comics. But the, the estate will still only have a registration for books and comics. They had an application for entertainment that they abandoned. So it's still a little unclear who would have rights for filmed entertainment. So, Tim, do you want to add something? Yes, uh, that was all very well said, and I agree with everything he said. But the one thing that I think really needs to be added is there's a distinction between the trademark and the copyrights. Even if you hold the trademark, that doesn't necessarily mean you have the copyrights that you would need to pursue anything that might be classified as a derivative work. And while it's not at all clear from the information I can find, I think that's going to be the bigger hangup for any future projects that might be based on or derived from Tales from the Crypt. Um, it's very hard to tell, but my suspicion is that a lot of the material surrounding Tales from the Crypt is what's sometimes colloquially referred to as an orphaned work. In other words, it is difficult or impossible from a practical perspective to determine who owns all of the rights that you might need to move forward with the derivative work. And that might make any future progress, especially in a film or movie environment, very difficult. Hmm. So it sounds like you're saying that this only applies to the original comics, not the TV show. Well, not quite. It applies to at least the trademark matter that David was discussing very well. That applies to the trademarks. And the trademarks, if you're not familiar with the distinction, trademarks normally deal with symbols and names, a source identifier, in other words, whereas copyright normally deals with the substance, um, the story behind it or the music behind it. And those can instantly be held by different people. You can have different people holding the rights to the music and to the film's production and yet another person holding the rights to the underlying story or written version of the work all at the same time. So again, <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. I'm, this is all very new. So who, who potentially could make a deal with just say Amazon or Netflix or HBO to stream the original shows? 
Does that, is that make clear in this? No. And that's the hard part. Uh, that's what makes something orphaned work. It's not clear who, or even if there is one person that can make a deal, you might need a patchwork of licenses if you wanted to move forward. And there are situations where it's, at least from a practical standpoint, virtually impossible to put together all the licenses you need to feel comfortable moving forward with certain projects. And while I'm speculating to a degree, my suspicion is that is why the planned revival was canceled. They found that it was infeasible to determine who they needed to get licenses from, much less work out the necessary deals. Yeah, and I think it's two very different questions. So one is who owns rights to the existing shows that were already made? The second is who could make a derivative work, a new show based on that? Um, and I think when it comes to the older works, it's still, it's hard to tell and we're working on limited information. So a lot of it depends on what the contracts were when the original shows were made, whether it gave all the rights, limited rights, limited time, unlimited time, you know, without seeing those contracts, we really don't know what the deal was. And that can always complicate things. Mm -hmm. um, it looks like from what the records I could find that um, Tales from the Crypt Holdings, which is a combination of four other companies, looks like it owns the rights to the original TV show episodes. Um, we can't confirm that, it just appears that way. So it's possible that they might be able to license those rights to a distributor to stream. Um, but even then there are probably complications about who has participation in that, whether the music was cleared. So oftentimes, not oftentimes, but sometimes productions were done, music was used and nobody bothered to clear the rights. Um, it just happened and now 20 years later, someone's looking back and trying to figure out who owns it and it's a challenge and not worth the risk. Um, there also may be limitations in their agreements um, or monies that have to go to the owners. The owners could be fighting. It, it's really hard to know why the original shows aren't being um, distributed through a streaming service now. But I think consistent with what Tim was saying, it's probably some complication over who owns the rights to the original episodes. And there may even be some dispute with the estate about who owns the trademark rights if they're going to brand the show Tales from the Crypt. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I, I did try to look read through this as best as I can. And uh, one of my, the, my probably my favorite part of the document is uh, there's a section that says description of Mark. It says the mark consists of an image of the head and upper body of a man above the term the Crypt Keeper. Um, it just tickles me to see the Crypt Keeper kind of described as a man um, <laughs> and uh, with the head and upper body. Um, so does that mean that, what about the image of the Crypt Keeper? Because so far as I can tell, you cannot legally buy any new merchandise with the image of the Crypt Keeper on it. So that comes into the same, or at least related issues of there's distinctions between the copyright and the trademark, and you won't have it with the Crypt Keeper, but if this were an actual man, a human, there could also be personality rights involved. Um, that won't apply to a puppet, even a very nice puppet like the Crypt Keeper, but the... Crypt Keeper as a puppet will be protected by copyright. It is akin to a statute or something along those lines. And it has protection as a creative work. The Crypt Keeper as a symbol, 
as an icon, and especially as a source identifier, will be protected by trademark. And it's normally, and I do emphasize normally because it can get complicated there too, it's normally a lot easier to figure out who holds the trademark for, or excuse me, who holds the ownership of a trademark than it is who owns the ownership of the copyright. Because most of the time, at least with a registered trademark, there's a registered owner and there can be back-end licenses, including exclusive licenses, but you have somewhere to start. With a copyright, it's not even necessary to officially have registration, though you can register copyright and there are some benefits. But that can become a much more murky area. Um, it's not 100% clear, but it looks like the gained estate either does or likely will hold the ownership of the trademark in the Crypt Keeper when the whole process is finished. As for the copyright, that is, with the information I have at least, almost impossible to determine. Maybe Mr. Snyder might know a little bit more on that. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. It's really hard to figure out. I mean, I, I think it's a fair assumption that the estate probably owns rights in the character. Um, it, it's not necessarily the case because, again, we don't know what they agreed on 20 years ago or 30 years ago mm -hmm. or 40 years ago, I guess, at this point. Um, you know, it's possible that the estate assigned rights to the character, but given that they continue to do comic books, um, that seems less likely. Um, but the representation of the character in the shows was an adaptation that was different from the comic books. Um, then it's heavily dependent on the contract. So a lot of times now, like a company like Disney, if they give someone rights to make a Star Wars spinoff, Disney is generally going to own rights to the characters that come out of that spinoff. But that may or may not have been the case here. And so it's, it's either of them could really own rights in that image of the Crypt Keeper. Um, and I think the TV show one is the more readily identifiable one these days. And it's entirely possible that the entertainment company, the holding company, still owns those rights. Um, but if they don't have the right to license it out for merchandise, the rights are limited to use for filmed entertainment. They can't really do anything with it. So it's, it's entirely possible the estate could do merchandise, but they can't use the, the version of the character from the show. And the people who did the show own the character from the show, but can't do merchandise. Wow. Yeah, because I've seen officially licensed EC clothing that has the original comic image of the Crypt Keeper. Um, but you, again, I can't find anything with the HBO, I guess the HBO puppet image. Um, so about like the voice, could John Cassier, who did, who originated the voice in the TV show, could he do like a, um, a voice only performance as the Crypt Keeper in a license, in a official capacity? So on his own, I don't think so. Just, just your opinion, not like, you know. Yeah, well, you can, not ruling. I, we're both sort of struggling and mulling this over and trying to think of how could he do that? Um, he does own rights in his voice and likeness mm -hmm. he probably assigned those rights in connection with the show so that as to the character most likely the holding company would own those performances um he could i suppose go out he can still use his voice um but he doesn't own any rights in the character so if he does anything official with it he could open himself up to a copyright infringement claim from either the holding company or the estate Right, so someone tried to do like, a, for lack of a better idea, like a radio show or, you know, those live table readings. 
Right. Um, so that would probably be difficult to do. There would be rights issues. There might be a fair use argument if it's non-commercial, but even then it's probably a stretch. Fair use is also something that's a little dangerous to invoke. Sometimes you have to, especially in academic settings. But if it comes to litigation, fair use is an affirmative defense, meaning the person asserting it rather than the plaintiff has the burden to show that it applies. And that can be challenging just on a financial standpoint, even if you are in the right with a fair use claim. Yeah, it's not a fight you want to have. Right. But you can stand up in front of of an audience at like a convention and go, ah, you know. Even that theoretically could be infringing, but I don't think anybody's coming after him for that. Um, and, and even if they were going to, typically they don't start with a lawsuit. They start with a cease and desist letter saying, knock it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a perfect description. The right to public performance is one of the items that's protected by copyright. And if he were to go forth and publicly perform as the crypt keeper, that gets into a dangerous territory for him, though. I absolutely agree. Just doing it at a convention probably won't result in anything and at most a cease and desist, but that's speculating about what the rights holders might do rather than what they legally could do. Yeah, if, if you walk around like Comic-Con or another convention floor, it is a sea of copyright infringement. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine the lawyer just walking through, just kind of like handing out like parking, like a part, like a meter maid, right. handing out tickets. <laughs> infringing, infringing, infringing. Yeah, I, I've thought about it before, but it's, I think for the most part, so long as it's low level, most studios figure the fan art um, and the um, fan support is worth it. And so they right. don't bother enforcing yeah, it's it free advertising. Yeah, if it's it gets commercial, then it becomes an issue. There was actually, and I don't remember the details, unfortunately, but there was an example with Paramount where lots of people write fan fiction and they don't do anything about it. Someone started raising money to produce a Star Trek-based show and then they got up in arms and sent them a cease and desist letter because now mm. it was real commercial entertainment. I read about that. I can't remember the name, though. That's interesting. So you can write and distribute for free. Even then, in theoretic, theoretically, any derivative work is infringing if you didn't get permission. But um, <clears throat> so there is sometimes a fair use argument. If you're distributing it for free, it's just to support the existing property. It might be fair use. Um, but it, studios, again, don't generally enforce unless it gets to a commercial level or starts to interfere with their own efforts. Right. I looked so, it up while you were talking. It's Axinar was the Star Trek matter. Right. So, I mean, speaking, not to get into a whole other web of uh, legal issues, but like obviously Paramount is the originator of the uh, Friday 13th series, which has been in the legal cobweb for a long time as well. And there's been many um, Friday 13th themed uh, fan films that have been showing up. Um, so, I'm assuming those are demonetized uh, on YouTube. Who knows? Oh, I would assume. <laughs> um, I think that's a safe assumption. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, yeah, maybe. It's, it's probably is a good assumption, but maybe, maybe not. Um, and especially, so, so one of the things is when you're not sure who holds the rights or if there's dispute over rights, it makes it harder for the rights holders to enforce. Um, and so it leaves a little more room for people to get creative with the property with less risk of retribution. Right, so again... 
not to wade into too many waters, but um, so I, again, you, uh, Tales of the Crypt is the kind of show that you can go on certain free uh, streaming tube websites and you can find complete episodes, pretty much every episode. Um, and there's apparently it's all there and there's no, no one's claiming the copyrights is that just because no one, there's no, there's no clear decision on who can claim the copyrights on those. That might be it, but another matter is that a lot of it is like whack-a-mole. A lot of copyright holders, even when the rights are clear, don't bother because it takes more time and effort than it's worth, especially with a property that's not currently being exploited right now, to try to get rid of every single item. And the DMCA makes it a little bit easier to remove things from the internet but only if you're dealing with a legitimate site that does respond to DMCA notices. I'm sorry, the DMCA is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act that has, among other things, takedown provisions for copyrighted material. But there are a lot of uh, less official sites that simply ignore those notices. And even dealing with the official sites, such as YouTube, it can very much be a case of playing whack-a-mole to try to get everything off of it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I totally agree. I, let's assume that um, Tales from the Crypt Holdings does own rights in the original episodes. Um, do you think Joel Silver cares about the episodes being on YouTube? Um, <clears throat> he might actually prefer it because at least it's still getting airing and can reach a new audience. And it's probably not worth his time to go pull it down unless he feels like he's in a position to get a deal to distribute it. So what... what where do you see things going from here what's the next steps if somebody was to i guess or, or okay i'm just trying to figure out how to what the next uh iteration is so what can william Gaines state do at this point or is it is it clear they can do anything well so they, they still um own rights for comic books clearly right um, they now have the Crypt Keeper mark, or they will short, well, they have the Crypt Keeper mark for books and comics. They will have a registration for that soon. So they can certainly continue to put out comic books. They can continue to license the comic book characters for merchandise. I think the real $64,000 question, or maybe $64 million question, is who can do filmed entertainment? And that's much, much harder to answer. Um, I, this, this decision doesn't really give us any insight into who can do that. Um, it still is a rights issue between the agreements from the eighties and it actually, so it gets to the other point that I didn't address earlier, right? which is setting aside the existing episodes. Could someone make new content based on the comic books? Um, and I, I would think so. So I would think that the state owns the comic books. If they're continuing to make content, someone could film that content. Um, and put out a new show. But chances are they can't use um, Kassir's voice. Chances are they can't use the character depicted in the original episodes. They'd have to redo the Crypt Keeper. Um, there's a question whether they could play off of anything in the original shows. And there's even still, even though it looks like it may be able to, they may be able to do that, um, there's still a question of what the contract was with the holding company back in the 80s and whether or not there are rights that were reserved that the estate is not allowed to pursue. Right. So going back to what I think um, Tim was talking about of a, kind of a attempt a couple of years ago, I believe that they were going, they're trying to do something, but I think it was announced that they couldn't use the Crypt Keeper 
as as we know it from the HBO show. I think there was a fan backlash against that idea, and that's partially why it was abandoned. Tim, does that track with what you uh, were talking about? That's not well. That's related to what I was talking about, but that's not quite the way I understand it. And maybe you have more of the background on what happened. But from the articles I was reading. Uh, the impression I got is they wound up in a quagmire of intellectual property rights. And there was more than just the HBO crypt keeper that they were concerned they couldn't use. And I, th- I think this is the first time I've respectfully disagreed with Mr. Schneider. And we're both speculating a little bit that my suspicion is that there is no one or at least no one that can be readily identified that is or will be authorized to make Uh, new movies or new TV shows based on Tales from the Crypt. Because even if they're producing new comics and even if they restrain themselves to the new comics, there is a significant risk that whoever holds the appropriate rights in the original HBO series will come up and say that this new series, even if it's based on new comics, is still a derivative work of the original series. And they may have a strong case, and that would make it very hard to get errors and emissions insurance, which most major productions will not move forward without. Sorry, what was that insurance? Errors and emissions. It's, um, there's different ver- versions of it, of course, but one of them deals with intellectual property. If you fail to get a license and it comes up later, the insurance company will step in and try to take care of it within limits set by the contract. So I guess the, maybe the, the fan um, celebration that this was going to be the thing that uh, would finally unleash the crypt might've been a little premature is what it sounds it's sounding like. That's my concern. And I hope I'm wrong because I would love to see a revival personally, but my suspicion is that, there is, there was, and still is enough of a quagmire that it's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, I, I think, so this definitely is not opening the floodgates. <clears throat> um, it's hard to tell from the proceedings what happened. This wasn't a settlement. So if, if there was a settlement, that might have been uh, more exciting because then it, there'd be an agreement, it might release the rights, whatever disputes might be resolved. That's not what happened here. What happened is that the holding company gave up and abandoned rights. Um, that's not a huge shock to me because they're not really using the rights anyways. Um, you know, as I said, rights arise from use. If you're not using the mark for years and years, you basically abandon them. And so I think what the holding company decided was that it just wasn't worth the money to fight over something they're not really using. That doesn't mean they give up any rights in the original episodes or whatever other rights they might've had by contract. And so that fight continues to go on. Um, to the extent it comes up. I mean, essentially they can just, they may be able to block the estate from entering into any deals and that may be enough for them. All right. Well, that wasn't quite the news I think we're all hoping for, but at least this is, hopefully this is the start of something. This would be the first step I would assume. Well, so I, I think there are two ways forward. We do have a little bit of a disagreement and we're both speculating. So neither of us knows we're guessing. Right. This is all, this is all a a fun, um, uh, whatchamacallit, a, uh, yeah, speculation. Um, Yeah, but this is why lawyers are like accountants or doctors. Everyone will tell you something different. Um, The basic law is the same, but the analysis is a little different. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it is more likely the, the estate owns the rights, but what they very likely do not own the rights to is the Crypt Keeper as depicted in the original shows. And that is the most iconic part of the shows. And so I think probably it's not solely that issue, but I think that's an important issue to anyone looking to, to do a remake or a reboot. Um, if they have to redo the Crypt Keeper from the ground up based on the comics, um, that's more challenging. And they have to, as Tim very aptly pointed out, take the risk that it can't be too much of an homage to the original one because then it's a derivative work that will get them sued for infringement. Um, so that makes it really challenging to bring this property back. Um, what I suppose would likely work to bring it back is a lot of money because um, you have people fighting over rights, but if everybody gets paid, nobody really cares about the fight. Um, but I don't know, I guess for any uh, distributor or producer, the question is, could you figure out those rights? And is it worth paying enough money to put to bed whatever the fights are and take care of everybody and produce something new? Right. And it's kind of a chicken and the egg situation is, do they think there's enough interest to put up that much money and effort? But we don't, we don't know how much interest there is until, they're, until you know, the fans are shown something. And that's kind of why I, I started this whole podcast in the first place is because there just isn't, there isn't a way for fans to show that they care um, as much. So my hope in this podcast is to kind of prove that this is still something that people are inter- I, that I think people are still interested in. And every time, you know, we bring it up, it's like, oh man, I love that show. There's a lot of nostalgia for it. And, you know, there isn't really a way to express that nostalgia. And you got two factors that are in your favor right now. One is... The rise in the streaming wars has studios battling for content. So it's not like money is just free flowing, um, but Apple has a billion dollars to spend on content. Not that they would do it on this. Netflix has a a war chest to spend on content. They probably would spend on something like this. And there are other companies out there, HBO, Time Warner, really, who are looking to spend money to develop original content. The second factor is nostalgia. Nostalgia is huge right now. I work with uh, video game companies that are bringing back 90s games, and there's a huge market for it. Um, You've seen there there are shows coming on Netflix like Stranger Things is a huge hit, in part because of the 80s nostalgia. Um, They just released a new 80s Christmas movie. Um, So there is a market for these products, and you could see someone like a Netflix coming in with a larger budget and being willing to put these uh, rights issues to rest and create a new show. Um, it's really about having people who think it's worth it uh, and who are willing to come up with something creative that a streamer like Netflix is willing to back. Yeah, it's interesting you bring you bring up the the, the 80s nostalgia. I think 80s nostalgia is sort of waning and 90s nostalgia is on the rise. I think it's just the cycle of where where certain demographic certain uh, mm-hmm. market ages are where you know um, i'm now 40 and i i was born in the early 80s but you know my main memories are of the early to mid 90s so that 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 40 to 50 um market with that spending power is now in on the 90s era nostalgia so get this made quick because you're running out of time <laughs> <laughs> um tim is there anything you want to add to that no, I think he provided an excellent summary. Um, question. Oh, so um, does HBO, which is owned by Warner's, have any 
backbone in any of this? Or they, were they just the distribution distribution platform for the original show? Because because a lot of people I talked to say, oh, it was on HBO, therefore HBO owns it, and HBO needs to bring it back. But it seems from everything I'm reading, HBO doesn't really have anything uh, in this. From what I've seen, it's impossible to say. Uh, if I were to speculate, I would say that they probably were a lot more involved than just being the distribution channel, especially in that time period. That type of content was very hard to produce and distribute without a backer like HBO. You weren't going to find it on the normal broadcast stations. And of course, they eventually released a stripped down, cut down version mm-hmm. on the normal on the broadcast stations, but that came much later. Um, So my suspicion is HBO was much more heavily involved and they probably have some rights or at least had some rights beyond being a distributor, but that is basic speculation on my part. David, do you have anything to add to that one? No, I I think it's, as Tim said, it's hard to know. It's entirely possible that HBO just distributed. It's also entirely possible that they helped produce the content and had some ownership interests. I don't know in the 80s how successful Joel Silver was. It's possible that at that point he already had enough money to fund a production like this. Um, And there were other participants and maybe combined they they had enough to do it and just went to HBO for distribution. Um, But it's really speculation at this point. Okay, so um, do you have any closing thoughts or or um, ideas that you think like what what would you what would you do next if you were the lawyer for the Gaines Estate or um, for another party that wanted to do something with this property? What would you um, not advise, but what would you speculate you'd want to do? Well, what you would focus on if you really wanted to move forward is starting with a proper clearance search. But a proper clearance search is very difficult. And in a situation like this, where, again, I'm relying on third-hand sources I've read in the news, but they've been described as a quagmire in various related words, a proper clearance search may be infeasible. Um, Sadly, for the Gaines estate, their best way forward may be to focus on written medium, comic books and books, And for anyone else wanting to revive it in the uh, film or movie or TV show type genre, their best bet may be to move away from Tales from the Crypt entirely and make a completely unrelated anthology series that may be carried forward some of the camp value, but in a completely different way that could not be considered a a derivative work. Now, I hope I'm wrong on that. I would love to see a Tales from the Crypt revival. But from what I can see, what little I can find in the public record, I think that may be the right answer as a practical matter. Yeah, I think for anyone who wants to um, see a revival of filmed entertainment based on Tales from the Crypt, it's really about putting together enough money to be able to get the parties all on board to produce it. And I I think the starting point would be finding a funder who's willing to put money behind it, whether it's a Netflix or a production company or something else. And then knowing that you have that money behind you, approaching both the estate and the holding company and saying, we want to do this and asking them to show what rights they have, explain what rights they have, 
and see if you can work out an agreement. And I, I think the ideal agreement would be one that ties up all those rights together, um, brings back um, the, the, the original uh, comic book content plus the Crypt Keeper character from the TV shows and allow someone to really trade on the popularity of the character from the TV shows that were already aired and to do updated modern content using the same character and ideally the same voice. I do think that's possible, um, <clears throat> but obviously it's not a simple affair because if, if it was, it already would have happened. And I so, think for fans wanting to see that happen, the best thing they can do is make it clear to people out there in the entertainment industry that there is an appetite for this. Uh, you know, buy existing merchandise goods, reach out to Netflix or companies like that. I don't know if they really entertain fans um, requesting content, but um, let it be known and find producers who want to back it. You know, there, there may be fans out there who are in the entertainment industry who create this kind of content and want to see it come back. And if they're going to their agents and their business partners and saying, hey, let's try and put a deal together for this. That's how things kind of percolate through Hollywood and may ultimately get made. I think that was very, very well said, but there's a sort of implicit assumption in there that there's just a small handful of rights holders to deal with. You mentioned the Gaines estate and the holding company, and those are definitely two players. My concern is there may be several others. HBO may have rights. Uh, Fox distributed it for a while. They may have an exclusive license that gives them some enforceable rights. And those are just on the distributors that are easy to identify. If they didn't clear the original music, if they didn't clear some of the other materials that were used in the old shows, if there are authors that still have rights to residuals or actors that still have rights to residuals in ways that might carry forward into even a derivative work, it can get a lot more complicated than that. Right. So it seems like if this, if this discussion has taught me anything, is that this is just the tip of a very complicated, murky iceberg. Um, so if, if there were to be, so I one other thing I see often is fan petitions um, to bring back the show, which is great. But I think a lot of them are aimed at HBO, which it seems like, again, it's, it's a lot bigger than that. So if someone were to do a petition, who would be the best party to aim that petition towards? So I would say, actually, I'm not sure there's any party to petition. Um, so the estate would, I would think, like to see more filmed entertainment. So it's not a question of a petition. If they could do it, they would. Um, Joel Silver may control some rights. And so he might be a person or, or the Tales from the Crypt holdings, you might put pressure on them. Um, you know, maybe at least they would explain a little more who the rights holders are and what the complications are. Um, but I think it's more about assuming, well, depending on whether people want access to the old episodes, which it sounds like just go to YouTube if that's what you want, or um, if they want to see new content. And for new content, I think it's more about connecting with people who are in Hollywood who produce content of this type and getting them excited and letting them know that there's a fan base that wants to see more of this. Um, as Tim pointed out, it could be extremely complicated, but that's how you get people with production ability and with money looking into it and seeing if they can put something together. Okay, Tim, do you have anything you want to add to that? No, that was very well said. 
Okay. Um, I mean, that's a lot to think about, a lot to take in. Uh, do you guys have any um, closing arguments um, that you want to add? I think that covers things very well. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, I'll just add one parting thought, which is that, uh, you know, I've, I personally have been through this experience many times before where there's a show on the air that I really like and it gets canceled early. Um, and it's incredibly frustrating to fans if you want to see something revived or see something through. Um, and it's rarely as simple as just saying we want it because those usually were off the air for a reason. And that reason is usually money. Um, and it's, it's really difficult to get something like this back. Uh, I, I, the two pieces of advice I have are one, enjoy what is out there um, and search for new content, licensed content, comics, you know, whatever it is. So you can enjoy beyond uh, just the original experience. And then two, you know, get the word out there that there is interest in this. And if there really are enough fans and enough people within Hollywood interested in it, sometimes these things do make a resurgence. So don't give up hope, but it's it's a difficult situation. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, thank you both for coming on, uh, taking time out of your day. I really appreciate it. And I really hope this is a informative um clarifying yet not very um clear uh update on the realities of what's happening that's not really as clear-cut as it would seem at least to the lay person i'm definitely as lay as you can get um but you know it's it's something and it's a start and hopefully it moves brings on um further developments well that wraps up another episode we really appreciate it if you would give us a rating and review on itunes and we thank you for listening to Dads from the Crypt. <laughs> Follow Dads from the Crypt on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or I will follow you to the grave. <laughs> no, seriously, you really should watch. But be careful what you ask for. You may get it. Ha 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 